Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is May. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. Welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. It is said, no human man can resist the alluring dance of an Orion slave girl. Well, today, one of those mysterious green women has graced us with her presence. She played Maris on Star Trek Enterprise, dancer, actor, dog mom, human mom. It's no wonder she's so nice. She's from Canada. It's Benito Fortunato. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for carving out the time. We were talking before we roll and you, you are super busy. I am. Um, I am. I'm a crazy life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. So right off the bat, um, I mentioned it in your intro dancer. How long have you been dancing? I could say. I guess I should say my entire life. Um, I didn't take it seriously. I was a competitive gymnast um, as a small child. And then I transitioned to dance when I was eight or nine years old. Um, Not to give away my age, but it's been a few decades. (laughs) Not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So a lot of, you know, I, uh, I've mentioned a couple of times before on the show that I have a martial arts background and uh, while it is definitely not the same thing as dancing there you know there is a little bit of overlap in that it is extremely uh physical mm-hmm. um there's a lot of planned choreographed moves and uh and th- things of that nature uh but also more uh more interestingly to me is that bruce lee was a championship was a champion ballroom dancer I didn't know that. Yeah. And part really? of the reason, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's real. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And part I of love the reason, that. uh, part of the reason Christian Bale did so well in fight scenes, not only in Batman, but in things like Equilibrium is that he is also a trained dancer. So Menina, mm-hmm. when you're in a bar fight, how long before you kill <laughs> everybody in the room? Is that... <laughs> Are you when breaking? I'm in a bar, bar yeah, fight. Well, yeah, because I know you Canadians just just always. Yeah, I'm just I'm such a violent, aggressive person, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, can't say I've ever been in a bar fight, but if I ever had to whip out the moves, I, mm. I probably would do okay. I mean, I've got a pretty good kick. I'm not a puncher, but but I got a pretty good high kick, and I know Strong the targets. Core. Yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, I've got the strong core. And yes, you're right that, you know, there are some similarities between martial arts. I mean, I view martial arts as uh, it's a dance, as a fighting dance at the end right. of the day. And there is movement that you have to learn in martial arts, just like I do movement. And um, you don't move to music necessarily, but you do move and dance with your partner, whoever your opponent is when you're sparring. So, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, 
uh, dance and martial arts are a good combination. I mean, my brother, he did Taekwondo and he also was a dancer and he was really great at both because they do kind of, you know, but there's required flexibility and strength and coordination. Those are all skills that you um, acquire both in dance and in martial arts. And mm-hmm. I've, I've done a little bit of stage fighting just in some of my work. And mm-hmm. um, I found it very, very easy for me to pick up because it's a dance at the end of the day. It's a choreographed dance. Yeah. And um, somebody tells me what to do and I can do it. Yeah. And that's, and it's so cool to see that, um, you know, anytime there's uh, some interesting uh, behind the scenes stuff on different uh, movies and whatnot, I always think of um, the born identity when Matt Damon's mm-hmm. doing some of the stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of the cinematography sort of took away from the very intricate cho- choreography that was involved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I wish we could have seen a little bit more of that on screen you don't get that until you get the dvd <laughs> right but right let me ask no, you're, you you're, go ahead well i was just gonna say uh you've worked with uh some amazing talent over the years uh just really quick britney spears uh you uh were the dance double for jennifer garner you worked with beyonce snoop dogg carmen electra but the person i want to ask you about <laughs> is mc hammer <laughs> i can't touch this <laughs> you worked um, with the man right i did i did a nationwide insurance commercial with him yeah. um i don't remember what year it was i feel like it was maybe 2007 ish mm. maybe yeah. um it, you can see the commercial on youtube and i actually had to learn the original choreography of can't touch this which I remember dancing to when I was a kid. Um, and um, I learned the choreography um, from him. I got a chance to dance with him. We wa- we wore the 90s fly girl kind of outfits with the oh, crimped hair and the yeah. big earrings. And so I look like a <laughs> 90s fly girl in the video. And um, yeah, and he was wearing his old traditional hammer pants in the video. Like, um, And the kind of the gag of the whole commercial was that um, he was, he was, you know, living this can't touch his life. And then he went bankrupt. Right. And that was actually parallel to his real life. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that was the kind of the comedy little moment at the end, but, um, I only worked with him the one day on the shoot, but uh, he was fun. He was a fun guy. It was, it was kind of nostalgic for me because I grew up listening to his music. And so yeah. I was a fan of the music and I, oh, yeah. I, I, he kind of went MIA for a while because I think he became a preacher. I'm not 100% sure what he did, but I yeah. think he kind of retired his his rapping days and then came back for this particular commercial. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Most people don't ask about that, but yeah, um, I uh yeah. I'll be honest, I was doing the running man there, you know, watching watching the Heck Yeah, watching the that's video. awesome. <laughs> my my wife had the Barbie doll, had the MC Hammer. Oh jeez, the bobblehead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um awesome. So, uh, you know, of course, most folks that are going to be listening to this show are going to be, she's a green girl. But, you know, it's (laughs) and it's interesting that uh, a lot of folks that, uh, you know, when I ask them about coming on the show, they kind of think like, oh, I got to be this, uh, you know, uber Star Trek fan and, you know, know all the ins and outs. And there's been times where a lot of folks that are involved with the production of Star Trek may not have been fans before and do the job and then maybe still aren't fans afterwards. What was your experience with Star Trek prior to getting hired? Did you have any sort of exposure to that as a kid through any family members or anything? 
I did. I, I was, um, my grandfather was a hardcore original series uh, Star Trek fan. Unfortunately, oh. he passed when I was a kid, so he never got to see his granddaughter on Star Trek. He probably would have been my biggest fan. Um, but, awesome. uh, and then I grew up watching Next Generation. Um, and yes. I wasn't entirely familiar with Enterprise at the time. Um, I hadn't kept up with all the different series. So I didn't know the actors and I didn't know um, this, the Enterprise storyline until I booked the job. I, I didn't even understand what an Orion was when I auditioned. I had to look it up and I'm like, what is an Orion slave? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and then I found out I didn't even know until I booked the job that I was going to be painted green and half naked. Yeah. I was like, oh, so this is and then they were showing me some like sketches of what i would look like in my costuming i'm like that's interesting okay um yeah and i didn't understand the magnitude of the character i wasn't told until i got on you know on the job when they said you know this is a very iconic character the you know the original pilot had an orion with william shatner and the fans haven't seen an orion um in 30 years and then to come on with three Orions, because I had two sisters on the show, right. um, you know, it was it was an it was a kind of a, a pivotal moment, and it was a historical moment for Star Trek. And I didn't understand at the time the magnitude of what I was embarking on. I just was like, cool, I book a, a you know a guest starring role, and I didn't think anything more of that. It was just like nobody's going to care about me. I'm just this green alien. Um, and then some of the actors and the producers and the people on the show, they're like, no, 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 I don't think you understand like what this character means to the Star Trek fans. I'm like, well, nobody cares about me. I don't even say a word as I'm a guest star, but my character has no lines, so I'm like, nobody's going to care about me. And um, yeah, and that's, I was completely oblivious to what was going to come later. I didn't know, you know, they said, make sure that you take your personal home address offline and make sure you have a fan mail address. And, and I was like, well, fan mail, what, nobody's going to send me fan mail. They're like, oh yeah, they will. And then after the show, Paramount, um, Viacom produced, I think 500 trading cards that I had, they asked me to sign. So I was like, okay, wow. cool, I'll sign these things. Um, and then I started getting phone calls to do appearances at like the Star Trek convention. And then I was traveling to uh, England and then I traveled to FedCon in Germany. And um, I think I was in Indianapolis and then I went to Texas. Anyways, I went to all these different places um, to basically do these autograph signings and these guest appearances and photo ops and all the things. And I mean, I could have. I think I could have made a whole career out of this. <laughs> I mean, I've met Star Trek actors that were from the original series that were still doing these appearances. I'm like, wow, people still care about you like 30 years later. Yeah. And they're like, once you're in the Star Trek family, like you're in, like you're stamped. Like it's, yeah. it's like a thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of historical to be a part of it because I, I got to meet so many of people that I used to watch on TV growing up and being able to work with them and doing these appearances, um, you know, and it was just, it, it was, it was a huge privilege and it was a huge honor to be a part of that because I was, I, and I was, you know, I was young. I was one of the youngest actors, I think, on the show at, at the time. And I just, I didn't know what I was embarking on. I had no idea. And then people just kept saying, the most loyal fan base you will ever get is Star Trek. Like they are, they have been, you know, when they follow you, they follow you for life. And I, I, and I believe that now because some of the actors from the original series, they're getting up there and some of them unfortunately have passed yeah. and they have been a part. I mean, I'm trying to think what projects, there's been just so many projects 
mountains that have come my way because of being a part of the Star Trek family. And then like I did Unbelievable, which was like kind of a parody um, with uh, a bunch of Star Trek actors. I think they yeah. they compiled uh, the most Star Trek actors in one particular movie. And um, it was a silly comedy. But it was fun because it became like a reunion because it was like, hey, guys, you know, I haven't seen you guys in a while. And we and I got to play a green character, except this time I was Rose, the plant alien. And I <laughs> and I spoke a different language. So I had to make up my own language um, on set, which that was kind of fun. Oh, wow. um, so and I got to dance again. So it was kind of a parody to my original character on Enterprise. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I was definitely oblivious to what I was embarking on. I thought it was just going to be a, a week and a half, two week job. And I was going to move on to the next thing. I never imagined. I mean, still, we're approaching to 2023. I don't know when this is going to air. But I mean, do the math. Like, it's two decades. And we're still talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. It's, uh, I've talked with so many folks, um, even outside the U.S., where, you know, overseas, uh folks in england like it's doctor who like doctor because they actually kind of started right around the same time doctor who has been you know running you know the same time and the the whovians the doctor who fans mm -hmm. uh you know obviously you know also very ravenous fan base um but star trek is kind of it's just bigger it's just bigger in yeah i don't think it competes with anybody star star wars maybe a close second but star trek it seems like yeah. it's when it comes to the sci-fi fan bases it seems to have the most longevity yes there are some cult followings of some other um brands but yeah. they're short-lived they don't seem to have the longevity that star yeah. trek has had because oh sure i mean it, the show has been around for decades we've seen a kajillion movies series comes out of it as well i mean i can't even keep track i haven't even watched half of this stuff and um yeah, if you're an avid Star Trek fan, like it's never ending. Like it's just eye candy. It's just candy all the time. It's just like you're getting new gifts all the time. There's always yeah. something new being created. And um, and especially especially now because there's uh, five different series currently in production where it's just there's there is new Star Trek all the time. Um, speaking of newer Star Trek, did you happen to see? Any of J.J. Abrams produced stuff back in 2009 with Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto. I did, I did the movies you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I did because um, there was there was an Orion in one of them. I don't yeah. remember in that, in that first the name. one for sure. Yeah, yeah, I do remember there was another. I'm like, oh, they brought back my one of my cousins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of what happens in Discovery because Discovery is sort of the first of this new batch, what is described as new Trek, and it takes mm -hmm. a lot of the aesthetics from those 2009 movies. So. Uh, we see a lot of very similar visual effects. We see a lot of very similar uh, costuming, set design, even the lighting and camera work is all very similar. If you knew nothing else about Star Trek except J.J. Abrams, you could sit down and watch Discovery and not miss a beat. Um, you know, so what were your initial impressions of that newer form of Star Trek? I liked it. I mean, I think it has a more modern twist to it. I mean, production value wise, I mean, they uh, definitely, uh, when it comes to CGI and all the special effects that they just didn't have available to the original series. 
So, I mean, I think with technology now, everything is just so much more elaborate and bigger productions and um, it's the, the capabilities of what they can do now is just so impressive. I mean, yes, there is a time and a place to appreciate the original series and, and the simplicity of it when you look at the sets and all of that. But, you know, J.J. Abrams and, and everything that has followed from that is, is definitely been next level futuristic when it comes to the production value. Yeah, we, uh, you know, with with everything that's going on with Burnham and Giorgio in these first episodes, because I mean, this, you know, this is the second part of the two part series premiere. We're seeing a, a next level of performance as well. We're seeing some some heavy moments right off the bat. And, you know. Uh, oh, should I get into it now or wait till after the recap? Well, it's well, let's t- talk just a little bit more about it. Is you know we're we're seeing these heavy moments, and I think we are getting a glimpse into something that is a lot deeper than it has been before. We're going where no one has gone before, in a mm-hmm. sense, and uh, you know we're seeing that stuff here. We also saw it with your characters and your character sisters uh mm-hmm. there on enterprise uh in that episode uh season 4 episode 17 bound where they're not just wearing bikinis and dancing around like the the orion culture is very much reliant on the male species and the males are also very reliant they are enslaved to the women it's a very it's a very unique symbiotic relationship full of very deep relationships and the deep relationship that we're seeing here in discovery is the relationship of the orphaned Michael Burnham raised by Vulcans who then joins Starfleet and finds a friend mentor um sister in arms and a mother figure in cap in Captain Georgio and then things play out but before we get Uh, too much deeper into that, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, and David Willett. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Burnham just disobeyed and attacked Giorgio in an attempt to fire unprovoked on a Klingon vessel, hoping to avoid an inevitable war. Giorgio has Burnham imprisoned for mutiny. Meanwhile, the Klingon outcast Valk, on behalf of his leader Tukuvma, has just activated a beacon that attracts 24 new Klingon vessels to the system. The leaders of the 24 great houses question Tukuvma's use of the beacon, which was prophesied to be used to unite the Klingon Empire once again. Takuvma is of a disgraced house, and one of the leaders, Kull, refuses to listen to him, especially given his acceptance of outcasts like Valk. Takuvma pleads with the other leaders to join him in fighting the Federation, who he says intend to destroy their species' individuality. Come on! Come on! He predicts that reinforcements for the Shinzo will arrive soon, and that they will announce that they come in peace. And when these come to pass, the other leaders agree to fight. Uh, 
There was a firefight! The Starfleet ships take heavy fire, and the Shinzo is almost destroyed, but is saved by the arrival of Admiral Brett Anderson and the USS Europa. Takuvma agrees to a ceasefire with Anderson. Yeah, right. But then sends a large vessel, hidden with a cloaking device, to ram and destroy the Europa. Sucks! The latter self-destructs, taking the large vessel with it. Great! Takuvma proclaims himself Kales, the ancient uniter, reborn, and allows the rest of Starfleet to escape as messengers of this. He sends the other Klingon leaders back to Konos, while he tends to their dead. In the damaged Shinzu, Burnham escapes the brig after telepathic encouragement from Sarek and convinces Giorgio to take Takuvma hostage. After using a proton torpedo attached to a Klingon corpse to disable Takuvma's ship, Burnham and Giorgio board the ship and attack. Burnham fights off Valk, but Giorgio is killed by Takuvma. <laughs> Burnham fatally shoots Takuvma, before being transported back to the Shinzo. Valk promises the dying Takuvma that he will be revered for his services to the Klingons. Burnham is later court-martialed and sentenced to life in prison. I don't care! So, we see here that almost immediately, Burnham is feeling the repercussions of her decision to commit mutiny. And one of those things that I don't think she saw coming was the death of this pivotal, very important figure in her life uh, in Captain George O. I got to tell you, my um, when my mother passed away, this is 2002. Uh, I was 19. It, it was a it is a moment that is seared into the wrinkles of my brain just because she was the glue for our family. And uh, experiencing something like that, uh, you know, and in the pandemic, I lost two friends. Um, they weren't I'm obviously, it, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> but, you know, seeing, uh, you know, seeing those people uh, taken from you um, is really, really hard. And then to have to jump back on the mic or jump in front of a camera and, and the sun will come out tomorrow. Like things have to carry on. It gets really yep, tough. The show, the show must go on. I had yeah. a passing this week. My father-in-law just passed on Sunday. So I totally get it. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, Life happens. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely does. I remember um, when my grandmother passed away, I didn't, uh, you know, the, the discussion of religion, we've discussed religious type things before. I don't necessarily push religion of, of any kind here on the show, but I, I, I'm not the type of person to just ignore faith altogether. <laughs> but I remember going to my grandmother's funeral uh, shortly after my mom passed away, and they kept using this phrase of, um, and, I, and I had heard it because I grew up in church, uh, they kept using this phrase, went home to be with the Lord. And I never really understood what that meant. Um, but it was just kind of a white noise type thing, the flowery phrase to kind of make it sound a little bit better, I guess. But her funeral was in Pennsylvania, where the rest of my family's originally from, in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. to be specific. And I've always, you know, I've got an aunt and uncle, whole bunch of cousins up there, and I don't get to go back up there very often, but we were up there for that. 
And I felt that connection to that place. And, I, and then I heard the phrase again, it's going home. She went home to be with the Lord. And I was like, oh, and I made the connection in my head, at least mm-hmm. of like, oh, that's what heaven is. Heaven is the feeling you get when you go home. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've, you just finished talking about traveling around the world and, you know, working on different shows with all these different people. What do you prefer? All the experiences that you've had or going home, being with your family? And is, is, is Canada that home for you or I mean, is there Canada, another place? Canada is my home. This is where I was born and raised. And I lived in LA for 16 years, had a wonderful career in entertainment there. And then I started having babies and my priorities changed. And I wanted to have a normal upbringing for my kids and wanted them to be in good, safe schools with good education and, you know, things that didn't matter to me when I was younger, it suddenly mattered. And LA, in my personal opinion, was just not the ideal place to raise a family. And I had a very, what I would say, quote unquote, normal, good childhood. And I wanted the same for my kids. So I convinced my American husband to import him (laughs) to Canada. And uh, we moved back or we moved in 2016. And I'm I'm very happy here. But I will say that I am a traveler. Uh, I'm a Sagittarius. And if you know anything about Sagittarius, we are explorers by nature. We enjoy being able to experience, have new experiences. And I love to travel and I love to travel even with my family. So I get both. I get my home with me and, and I can make any place my home wherever I go. Like I do, I speak multiple languages. I speak French, I speak a little Portuguese, a little Spanish. So there's so many countries that I can go visit. I've visit, been to over 40 countries in my lifetime. So I really do appreciate the experience that comes with travel, meeting people, speaking different languages, trying different foods, learning different customs and rituals and fashion and whatnot. So that is very, um, you know, appealing to me. Um, But there is a sense of safety and security that you feel when you come home, but I can't be home for too long. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I get, I get antsy. So like during the lockdown, I was going a little bit crazy. I'm not going to lie because I had baby number three during the lockdown in April of 2020. That was at the beginning of everything. So at first I was like, okay, this is great. You know, um, you know, I was planning on slowing down a little bit anyway. So, you know, a few weeks and I had everybody was home. So it was kind of actually nice. So I had more help. Normally my husband would have been traveling and working and I would be home alone with the kids. And so this time actually had everybody home. So I was like, oh, this is nice. But then two years went by and I was like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> like I need, <laughs> I need to get out. <laughs> I, uh, I have a bit in my act where I, and I did this, um, you know, just pose, you know, once uh, the mics opened back up and everything, it was like, oh, it's been a while since I've been up here, been cooped up. I, uh, I kept myself busy during the pandemic psychoanalyzing all four of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Todd, why'd you do that? I don't know. I couldn't tell you if I wanted to. I was at home. Yeah. It's funny. I was telling you before we started recording that I don't watch much TV or or movies. I actually did binge watch on some random TV shows that I'd never heard because I've never had time. And suddenly I just had the time oh, I was sitting at home with the baby breastfeeding. So I had nothing to do. So I'm like, let me put on the idiot box, the TV and see what I can watch. And I was just watching all kinds of random junk. And um, I mean, jump, I only did that. At you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this, this is fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm 
this? What is this? I, I don't know. I watched some reality shows that I never heard of. I watched the Art Kelly documentary, which was very disturbing. Like I watched just a lot of random stuff. Uh, I didn't follow or anything in particular. It was just like, okay, what's on TV? I'm stuck in bed. I have nothing to do. I can't leave the house. Right. Um, you know, but I only did that for a, like a few weeks. So I think after birth, that was because um, I was scooped up in the house. And, yeah. um, you know, the restrictions up in Canada were atrocious. So like there was a period where we, it was like a crime to go to someone's house. Like, like you couldn't go anywhere. All the businesses Oof. were shut down. It was just, it was horrendous. And yeah. um, I mean, thankfully life is normal again or somewhat. Yeah, we're getting and, there. <laughs> yeah, there's still, you know, there's still some things I wish were different, but whatever. It's, um, yeah, I did not anticipate two years of all of that. And yeah. I, I enjoy being home with my kids and my family and having that special bonding time a short period at <laughs> out of the year not two years that was a lot and then I'm sure we all learned how to work from home we all learned about zoom in that period the fact that we're even doing this recording on zoom I didn't know what zoom was three years ago now it's a part of my everyday life I do meetings all the time over zoom so it's definitely changed the way we do business because um you know, back in the day to do a podcast, you interview, usually you go in the studio yep. and, and you would have to physically go somewhere. So, uh-huh. I mean, the blessing, the good side of all this is we've been able to reach a wider audience and doing things on a global scale without physically having to travel somewhere. So now, now it feels like a big effort to like leave the house and go somewhere. <laughs> well, speaking of leaving the house and speaking uh-huh. of multiple languages and speaking of food, mm. I now have another question. Ask away. <laughs> of of the different places you've been mm-hmm. and the different languages you speak, mm-hmm. which place has the best food? Mm. This is on the record. This is probably yeah, this this is this is a heavy question. That's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, I do love some Italian cuisine, especially if it's made from scratch. Oh. Um, I do. Gosh, when I went to Dubai, they had a lot of international cuisine and we had really? some pretty exquisite dishes. I don't even know what I was eating half the time and it was really good. Um I'm not going to be totally biased, but Vancouver has a very, very eclectic, uh, diverse, because we're such a multicultural city. So we literally can have any type of food from around the world. Um, So, yeah, we do have a lot of good food here. I mean, L.A. does have also a very diverse, eclectic mix. I mean, it's a hit or miss, but... um, well, I would I mean, see. I, I would. I would think with Vancouver because uh, the wife and I lived in uh, Florida a few years ago, and we were like okay. ten minutes from the coast. Nice. So the seafood was just nah. Yes, yeah, so we, good. We so have, I imagine because we're guys, by the water. Yeah, we we're by the water, so we yeah. have some really good wild salmon up here. Oh, um, so yeah. yeah, we're known for our salmon as far as our local um, seafood is concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love my grand, my Portuguese grandmother's home cook, co- home cooking. She's she's got some good stuff. Um, yeah, I I love I love Thai. Listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't think this Thai. discussion was going to get sexual, but man, oh man, <laughs> I love 
a good Thai dish. Like when I went to Expo in Dubai last year, for example, uh -huh. um, I was able to visit the different country pavilions and in those different country pavilions, you can eat their foods. So oh. we did have some amazing Thai food at the Thai pavilion. So that was some real good authentic Thai. Nice. I love a good Korean barbecue. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got a lot of taste buds that make me, I put it this way, I'm open to trying anything as long as it's healthy. I'm not a big like burger yeah. fried kind of chick, like I'll try it and I'll be polite if I have to eat it at someone's, you know, but it's not my fave. Uh, sure. I definitely, I, I, yeah, from the scratch, white, the... homemade, clean oh, yeah. ingredients, um, there any is something. There is something about that where in taking like better ingredients and making stuff that is clean, um, the wife's biggest, um, the wife is, has a super uh, restrictive diet. A lot of, mm -hmm. uh, she's really trying to get rid of like a lot of allergens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, um, but one of her favorite meals is eggs Benedict. So mm, I that's kind out, of a guilty pleasure for me too. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good. One. And I, I don't make it at home, but if I go out for breakfast and there's a brunch and they have right. a eggs Benny and they have maybe a salmon Benny or spinach or goat's cheese Benny or. <laughs> right. So like uh, I had learned and again before she started this uh, really restrictive diet, I had started. Uh, I had learned how to make eggs Benedict, and it was it was pretty nice. great. Then she started this diet and I was just like, oh man, I'm going to have to change the whole thing up. But I figured out how to do it and Good. made it, made it for one time. And I was just at fingers crossed and the whole thing was just like, how is it, babe? And she's like, this is exquisite. I was just like, yes, I, I did yeah, it. I nailed you, it. Can, <laughs> you can, you can, you can definitely modify a recipe yeah. to still have what you enjoy, but just using ingredients that your body, you know, responds better to you know some right. people have gluten intolerances and dairy and you know or nuts or whatever else and you just have to make modifications depending on your you know what your what you can handle everybody's different we respond differently to foods and exactly. um, yeah there are certain foods that I used to eat that I used to be able to eat without any consequences but I feel like as I get more mature then my body can't tolerate the things that I used to be able to eat. Um, so we have to make some modifications sometimes, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, uh, getting back into uh, the episode here a little bit, we've, we've strayed from Star Trek a little Sorry, bit. Sorry. We're talking about no, I, yeah. I was like, no, that's fine. That's fine. We've discussed grandma's recipes like, before. What are you talking about? He had the green girl on and they talked about eggs. Benedict, come on. No. Um, but getting back into it, uh, you know, we see that uh, Michael Burnham struggles with this decision to basically betray her captain and commit mutiny. Now, if we are to believe all of the dancing movies that are out there, um, you know, uh, betraying those uh, in your company and in your troop seems to be a normal thing and fights breaking out and all that stuff. Like, has there been and I mean, because. A really well choreographed dance is just such a thing of art. Mm -hmm. Have have you dealt with much drama on on set on production? People, I mean, it seems like you know when you're in when you're in the trenches doing something super physical, there seems to be that that big bond of camaraderie. But every now and then, there seems to be like somebody got up on the wrong side of the bed one day and just like have have you seen that? 
Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, there's anytime you get people to work together, and especially if they're not naturally friends, there's going to be different personalities and different personalities sometimes clash. Um, I, I mean, me personally, I'm not, I'm a non-confrontational person. So I usually don't like to instigate drama. That's not my, that's not my jam, but I definitely have witnessed, you know, some interesting personality types, um, whether it's cast or whether it's crew um, and, you know, dancers in particular, there's uh, a lot of big and bold character types oh yeah uh actor and i mean sure in the acting world there are as well but i find dancers especially they're such free-spirited um people and you can get anywhere from the conservative classical to the flamboyant drag queen and everything in between so um when you put and mix those different personality types, you may get the diva in there and the diva might be, not be a girl, <laughs> it might be a boy, or, or um, you may get, you know, the high testosterone masculine male that, um, you know, my, my way or the highway kind of personality type. Um, I've been cussed at on set before, you know, uh, for not being at the right place at the right time. And I remember once there was, pyro that got in my eyes during a tech rehearsal of a live show and I had met I had mentioned to the choreographer I'm like can I move over just a hair because I'm too close to the pyro machine and I got some sparks in my eyes and then I got yelled at and cussed at and he said well I dealt with pyro when I danced with Michael Jackson and just gotta deal with it and I'm like well I'm not trying to get hurt (laughs) (laughs) well I've I feel I feel like we're sort of straying into a, a negative part of of what we've uh, of what we've been going on. I was I'm, I'll admit I was curious about you know some of the you know drama behind stage, but you know you like I mentioned earlier, you've worked with a lot of big personalities. Uh, I imagine a lot of them may not be dancers or have a dancing background. Was yes. there was there any big person that you worked with and I say big person big personality or celebrity um mm-hmm. that that surprised you with how good of a dancer they were for a beginner I imagine well I didn't know that Jennifer Garner had a dance background oh, because really? I was I didn't realize that because I was hired as her dance double on alias for an episode mm-hmm. because she was injured her foot was injured so she couldn't dance oh. so um all the it was like a Havana Cuba dance scene. I was in a yellow dress. So I was her in the opening and the number. And then she just did the acting lines, just like waist our shoulders up. Mm -hmm. And so I I didn't realize that she was a dancer and she was such a sweetheart to, I mean, she was so sweet. I only worked with her one day. It happened to be on Valentine's day. I think she was dating Ben Affleck at the time. Okay. Sounds all right. I was 2000 six maybe 2005 yeah, I don't know that, somewhere that on there. yeah and um you know she was super sweet she invited me in our trailer we were taking photos we were just chit-chatting she was so gracious on set there was somebody a crew had a birthday or something and she stopped everything to make sure that we all sang happy birthday and then I didn't realize that she actually had dance skills so we talked about dance and she was so thanking me she was like thank you for making me look good right now because I can't dance but I normally could and I was like oh will you dance (laughs) no idea then she was talking about her dance life and um so yeah she was a shock I didn't realize I thought I was doubling for her because she didn't know how to dance I didn't realize just because she was injured Uh. that I was doubling for her and um 
I was also very pleasantly surprised. Your audience may not know who he is. Uh, he's a Korean pop star named Rain. Okay, um, I saw some of this in in your demo reel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He. Um, do you ever see the movie Ninja Assassin? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Do you remember the martial artist and the, the lead guy, the Asian Korean guy? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's Rain. That guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we yeah, talk yeah. about dancers. Bruce Lee. You talk about dancers and martial arts. He yeah. doesn't have a martial arts background. He's a dancer first. Oh wow! Who became <laughs> a pop star in Korea, and he's massive. He's, and then because of his dance background, he was able to get the role for Ninja Assassin. And I mean, he had killer moves because he had the physical abilities and strength and coordination and all of that to be able to do that particular role. So he was someone that blew me away because he was another job that I didn't know who he was. Um, they're like, yeah, there's this guy from Korea and he's like kind of like the big deal. He's like the Michael Jackson of Asia. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And I booked the job and I didn't realize the matter. Even when I was rehearsing with him, I, I'd seen videos. I'm like, okay, cool. He sounds like he's got a little fan base. But then... Um, Korean Airlines sponsored the tour. We had the wrapped, um, the plane wrapped of Rain's World Tour on it. Yeah, um, I was in the Korean Airlines magazine dancing with him. I was like, <laughs> what? And then I got off. Um, remember, I'll never forget. I got off the plane after a 24-hour uh, flight and it landed in Hong Kong. I was half asleep, jet lagged, and there was hundreds of fans with signs and screaming and media. And I'm like, what is this? What is going on? And um, they were following us to our, to the, we had to like run through the crowd. And then I was taking photos and selfies with people. And I'm like, who are these people? Why do they know who I am? And I was blonde at the time because they made me the token white girl on, on this show. Ah. Um, anyway, so that was like a whole nother world. But I was just so impressed with Rain's abilities as a dancer because I thought he was just a singer but then I found out later he was actually a dancer first who then became a singer and then became an actor um and then he crossed over into the English market with Ninja Assassin and he's done some other things too but yeah. so he was somebody that really really impressed me with his dance ability that I wasn't expecting um when I worked with him um I'm sure there's others but those are just the people that yeah kind of popped into mind yeah that's great and we you know we here on the show we always like to focus on the folks that uh you might not have noticed right off the bat folks maybe behind the camera or someone mm -hmm. behind someone else and uh you know as we do every week lovingly we always ask the question who do we blame <laughs> the story for battle of the binary stars was written by brian fuller whose last work on the show was season one, episode one, The Vulcan Hello, uh, which we discussed with producers Erica LaRose and Mark Cartier from Shuttlepod last week. Uh, the teleplay was written by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts. Gretchen's first credit was as an executive story editor on Beverly Hills 90210 back in 1990. Uh, she would go on to write 32 episodes for that show from 1998 to 2000. Her first film credit is Valentine, 2001, based on the book by Tom Savage, along with writers Donna and Wayne Powers and Aaron Harberts. Uh, Valentine stars Denise Richards, David Boreanaz, Marley Shelton, and Katherine Heigl. Uh, she would also do nine episodes of Roswell, uh, three episodes of Pushing Daisies, and this is her first of six appearances in the franchise, uh, first as co-showrunner, which she did for 21 episodes. 
Now, Aaron Harberts has been working closely with Gretchen J. Bird for quite some time, so the resume is practically identical. 90210, Valentine, Roswell, Pushing Daisies. Uh, Herberts and Berg have been writing and producing partners since they met at Northwestern University. And this episode was directed by Adam Kane, whose first credit was as DP on Double O Kid in 1992, starring Corey Haim, Brigitte Nielsen, and Wallace Shawn. Inconceivable! And he DP the Boondock Saints in 1999. Uh, phrasing? Written and directed by Troy Duffy, starring Willem Dafoe, Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, and Billy Connolly. Adam Kane's first TV directing was three episodes of Pushing Daisies. We're seeing a reoccurring theme here. Uh, five episodes of Heroes, eight episodes of Being Human. He would go on to direct episodes of Sleepy Hollow, Daredevil, Hannibal, Minority Report, Supergirl, and American Gods. This is his only appearance in the franchise so far. Currently, he's working on Fox's Fantasy Island Season 2 premiere, which is now available. And guest stars. We have returning, of course, Michelle Yeoh, Mary Chifo, James Frain. But we've also got Terry Serpico as Admiral Brett Anderson. Uh, Terry's first credit is on All My Children, episode 1.5733 from 1992. Uh, And then he had three big films back-to-back in 1997, Donnie Brasco, Copland, and Peacemaker. He would also have small roles in Hannibal in 2001, The Departed in 2006, and Michael Clayton in 2007. He would do 15 episodes of Rescue Me from 2005 to 2010 as Cousin Eddie, 108 episodes of Army Wives from 2007 to 2013, and 2016 had two more big films, The Fifth Wave and The Purge Election Year. And unfortunately, this is his last appearance in the franchise. Uh, We see him meet his end. Then we have uh, Kenneth Mitchell as Call, whose first TV credits are nine episodes of Leap Years from 2001. His first film, The Recruit from 2003. The Recruit's a great movie. I really dig it. Stars Al Pacino, Colin Farrell, and Brigitte Monaghan. Then Miracle in 2004, starring Kurt Russell and Patricia Clarkson. 27 episodes of Jericho. 15 episodes of Ghost Whisperer. He was also seen in Criminal Minds, Grimm, and Bones. He did 12 episodes of Switched at Birth. 10 episodes of Astronaut Wives Club. And this is his first appearance in the franchise. And then we've got Chris Obi as Tokuvma. Now, his... He's got a shorter resume here, but he's got some pretty cool stuff. His first TV appearance was Trial and Retribution, Season 6, Episode 2. That was in 2002. And then he got one of those coveted franchise appearances. This was Doctor Who, Closing Time from 2011. It was alongside uh, Matt Smith as the Doctor, of course, Karen Gillan. Arthur Darville, James Corden, and Alex Kingston. Then he uh, got an appearance in Ghost in the Shell in 2017, and then would do three episodes of American Gods as Anubis. And this is, unfortunately, his last appearance in the franchise. Uh, We saw Takuma meet his end at the end of... uh, uh, Burnham's phaser. But uh, in an interview on the first episode of After Trek, uh, Obi compared Takuvma to the biblical character of Moses and said that the character was the runt of the litter who was transformed into a leader after believing that he had been tasked by the spirit of Keles to unite the Klingon Empire. Uh, Menina, 
uh, have you, you know, speaking of uh, biblical characters here, uh, have you ever worked with anybody who thought they were God's gift to the world, to to the to the project, to women, to men, whatever? Have you ever dealt with somebody like that? No one actually verbalizing that to me, but <laughs> well, they, can, can they think... can't verbalize it. I mean, that takes right, it all away. Right, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think there's a couple characters. Maybe I shouldn't name them because I don't want to That's throw fair. them under the bus. But That's yeah, fair. I think there's a, a couple people that I've worked with that might have had a larger than life ego. <laughs> ah, yes. But, um, and it's funny because the one person in particular, I remember telling them that I didn't even know who they were when I got hired to work with them. And it, they got a slice of humble pie. Nice. <laughs> you know, speaking of food, it's it's humble pie and revenge best served cold. <laughs> genuine I was like I'll be honest I, you're my boss and I know that you're a celebrity and I know that any other woman would be like screaming right now to be in your presence but I didn't know who you were when, until I worked for you and I don't think anybody has said that and in a strange way I gained respect that way it was almost like because he was expecting me to be more you know because he thinks he's god's gift to women and i didn't react that way i was just like yeah you're super talented and i'm happy to work with you <laughs> and so he's like huh well um, well these uh these episodes are pretty crucial but i'm gonna go ahead and ask the question that we've been asking uh every week here is this essential viewing if somebody is sitting down and watching star trek or star trek discovery for the first time is this episode battle of the binary stars essential viewing absolutely yeah it's i think this 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 is one of those ones that doesn't require a lot of discussion just because i mean we're right at the beginning this is part two of the premiere i mean yeah so definitely you gotta things. watch it definitely yeah, have to watch it absolutely absolutely oh manina thank you so so much for carving out the time do you have any final thoughts final thoughts on the franchise final thoughts on your experience personally in the star trek franchise Final thoughts about this episode of the podcast that you're on. Final thoughts uh, before we wrap it up. Well, first, Todd, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad that we connected. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I feel like we could talk all day long. <laughs> for sure. We're both very chatty. And um, <laughs> no, I mean, as far as when it comes to the whole Star Trek uh, franchise. I mean, it is truly remarkable what it's been able to accomplish. And I'm just so grateful that I am a part of the Star Trek family. I'm humbled that it has led to so many amazing opportunities that we're even still talking about it today, years later, and who knows, maybe decades later, I'll still be having this conversation. And, you know, um, even my children, they weren't alive when, when I played this character, but anytime they see a green person, they're like, mommy. <laughs> And I have the original, one of, a fan gave me the original character of um, the original Orion, and I have the action figure, and I was going to keep it and, like, hold it and treasure it and maybe sign it and get, you know, give it away one day. But, yeah, my two-year-old kind of opened the package, and it's now his toy, and he's kind of taken off some arms and legs. And oh, limbs. no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is it is really cool, though, because... Um, 
yeah, it's, I feel like I'm a part of history and of all the, you know, career achievements that I've had over my lifetime and all the cool people that I've worked with, this is definitely one of those gigs that really, it was, it was a pivotal moment. It was, it was historical for the franchise. It was historical for me. Um, You know, it's, um, you know, even though I'm, I'm not even focused on acting so much these days. Like it's not even my, my main focus at all. Uh, it's just really cool that I had that opportunity and I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for the opportunities that have come because of it, being able to tell my kids that I have a trading card and now a video game, which I didn't know. About. I know folks uh, breaking news. I was able to break the news to Manina Fortunato that she is a playable character in Star Trek timelines. I got to say that that is a That's feather in my cap. <laughs> like the things that have come out of it, action figures and cartoon and comic strips and um, artwork and trading cards and appearances. And like, I just, it's blows my mind, you know, yeah. that I am part of that. So I'm very humbled and very, thankful that um you know whoever gave me this this job i did not expect it to go where it went i didn't even know i was going to be a green half naked alien when i did the job i didn't know what brian was and here we are like years later still talking about it so it's wild well we are so humbled and thankful to have you on with us today folks next week we will be joined once again by singer dungeon master and voice of the uss protostar from star trek prodigy the lovely and talented bonnie gordon will be here to discuss discovery season one episode three context is for kings which is available exclusively on paramount plus manina where can people find your work on the internet well, my website is meninafortunato.com, M-E-N-I-N-A-F-O-R-T-U-N-A-T-O.com, if you can remember that. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Menina Fortunato. I'm on Facebook, Menina Fortunato. I'm on Twitter, Menina F. I'm on YouTube, Menina F. And any of those pages, you can find my work and you can have access uh, to communicate with me if you want to reach out. And I'm at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>
Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?